I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. It's a golden fall morning in the sleepy lakeside town of Sunapee, New Hampshire. This is about the last place I'd expect to find one of the biggest rock stars on our planet. Before he became music legend Steven Tyler, he was Steven Tallarico, a skinny, rambunctious boy who spent every summer of his childhood helping his parents manage a handful of vacation cabins they rented to tourists. In his best-selling memoir, Does the Noise in My Head Bother You?, Stephen says it was here in his beloved Sunapee where his spirit was born. What a perfect setting for our surprising and open-hearted conversation. Howdy! 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 I brought flowers from my house to your house. Oh my God. I cut these myself yesterday in my garden oh. to bring to you. Yes. Yeah, so you take one. I love this place. Right? I do. I knew you would. I love this place. Look, I love this it's place. A, it's a little nook. It's a little nook. Mm-hmm. I can't believe it is so, it is so unrockstar like I gotta <laughs> tell you. That's the other side of it. <laughs> it's the other we're side. We're gonna find of you. out about that. We're gonna find out about mm. that side of you. Well, we can put these down someplace. We'll okay, put them let's in the house. Put them down right okay, good. Let's put them down. Beautiful. Good. How's that? Beautiful. Well, tell me about this place. Is this, you know, I read your book, uh-huh. and as I'm driving, I'm like, there's the harbor! <laughs> Actually, the harbor's smaller than I imagined mm-hmm. from, from the way you described mm-hmm. it in, in the book. Very country, very small. Very country, very small. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is where and you're... That's, that's why, you yeah. know? That's why, that's why all of this is like, it's a place that you can grab onto. Uh-huh. And there's so much God here, and so much life on life's terms here. Uh-huh. This isn't where you grew up, because where you grew up actually is it like where they like little cottages. That's the way you describe yeah, it in the book. Like yeah, 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 yeah. And then you bought this. And then I bought this. Yeah. yeah. I would drive by and I'd look down and I'd see down, and it was an enclave and it uh-huh. was a little nest. And this house was there, but it never looked like this. And but the dock was, and the the trees were, and especially the rocks. I'm so glad I'm to so be so here. Glad you're Thank here. you for letting me yeah. come here. You know, it's really special when somebody lets you inside the space that really is private and belongs mm-hmm. to them in a, in, a, in a way that people don't normally see you. I think mm-hmm. that's amazing. Yeah. I'd this is that. so calming. How can you? <laughs> you know, I wake up every morning, mm-hmm. and I walk down over here like that, and I go mm-hmm. up those stairs, and I jump right off the top of that into the water, mm-hmm. and that's my good morning plunge. Really? Really? <laughs> yeah. Really? Yeah. So how long have you had the house, Stephen? God. 26 years. Wow. And you know, it's one of those places that because you're on tour, we never really go anywhere. We're always everywhere else, you know. Uh-huh. Um, so so this is always that winter place that we'd come up to and, you know, have somebody shovel out the snow and come down and light a fire. Yeah, but in winter, nobody's here. I remember in the book you described standing at the harbor once when you were like a kid and mm. nobody was there. Nobody. Because this is deserted in winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And everybody, that's, it's deserted now, listen. You know, usually boats are going up and down and sailboats and yeah. people and kids laughing, but, uh, you know, and I was never, I never experienced that when people left and I got separation anxiety. I woke up one morning and I realized that the sidewalks were rolled up. 
because ah, everybody's and, gone. Yeah, and yeah. I think I was 17. Yeah. And I thought about being a man. And what am I going to do? I have to get a job oh. and sustain, you know, this thing called life. I had never put it together. And it was like, ah! But I love, too, when you were saying that, you know, everybody else was going off to be a man. People in high school were going off to be become a man, to mm -hmm. do the man thing. Mm -hmm. But you weren't, you weren't thinking about that at all. No. I had such a beautiful home life with her. Aunt Phyllis and Uncle Ernie and... Uh, Linda. Linda, she's, she's here and... Uh, and your you dad. Know. I'm so oh, sorry yeah. to hear about your dad. But 95, come mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. 95. Yeah. Stephen's father, Victor Tallarico, passed away just days before I arrived. Victor was a professional pianist. Like his only son, Victor devoted his entire life to music. Stephen and his sister Linda buried their father next to their mother, Susan, here in Sunapee. We were all in the room with him when he took his last breath. Uh, what was, was just that last like? week? What was that like? Oh, I heard him make a noise and it was like, you know, it's still hard to, to explain. It was such a loss. We were all sitting there and crying up a storm and, you know, it was just for every breath he took, he took three breaths and then he'd hold it for 30 seconds and then take three breaths again and then and then it would be held again for 45 seconds and then it was the last one. It was a whole hour of that. So it was... So for every breath you're holding, wondering, is this going to be the last one? It's going to be the last. And, I, you know, I got to sleep with him the night before and hold his hand and talk to him and everything and it was just... You know, I've never done that before. I've been told that <clears throat> to be with somebody when they die is a, one of the most important things you can do on the planet mm -hmm. to help them out. Well, that's what I've heard. I've so heard that's that what too. I wanted to know. Was it that way for you? Did it feel that way? It felt that way. I, it was a piece of me that didn't want to go through all that, mm -hmm. didn't want to hear all that. And it was a piece of me that knew that I needed to be there with Dad. And, and then when I, I, every second was, it changed. I realized the family was with me, 12 people, and then. I was alone with him like this, listening to my daddy take his last breath, and it was just so, you know, it was mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Now I can, I can intellectualize about it, but it was just pure feeling, pure emotion that daddy's going right now. Mm -hmm. It was so, so hard. What was the last thing you said to him? I love you, dad. The last thing I said, I heard him take, he held his breath for 45 seconds. Mm -hmm. And when it got to 45 seconds, I said, I was like, so, you know, <laughs> and I went, Mom, here comes Daddy. And then I thought, he took another breath again. I thought, oh, jeez, did I? Because mm. Mom passed away two yeah, years yeah. ago. And mm. I just said, Mom, Daddy's coming to you. And, you know, I tried to be that spiritual guy, mm -hmm. but that my emotions took over way, way too much. I and mean, I love my daddy so much. I wonder what it'd be like when your mommy and daddy are gone. Like, mm. I've heard people who say when they've lost their parents, do you feel like you've lost your anchor? Um, yes and no, because I afforded myself the last uh, year, wherever I was, I was able to come leave it and, and just stop on a dime. People were lending me their planes and come see dad, so I, I got to re-up my relationship with him again. And he was there, but not. One day he'd be playing the piano because he was a classical pianist. And the next day, uh, you know, he wasn't there at all. And I just, every time I think of dad, I thank God of this whole last year that I got a chance to be close to him. That's the part. Yeah. Things I never thought about. That's what matters.
Did you get a chance to say everything you wanted to say? Yeah. 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 Yep. Feel everything you wanted to feel? Yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep. This. Uh, I could see where you could why right. you would come home to this. Right. Yep, I'll see. And swim out to these rocks and just uh. sit there. Mm -hmm. This has been a beautiful year, except for the bittersweet mm -hmm. of having the family there because my dad passed. Mm -hmm. You know, Liv said, you know, I've, I've never been with, with my sisters and brothers when my mom passed upstairs, she said that. And, you know, imagine that that's, we live these kind of lives, you and I, that we're in the tail of a comet, right? And when we stop and we really do feel the family, I feel bad I do what I do. I feel bad I left, you know, Mia and my ex, my first wife here. I left him here, I abandoned him. I was on drugs, but also went on tour. And then I'd come back here and think, oh my God, why did I leave? Oh. You know. Let's go in time. Why did I ever leave? It's all okay. It is, isn't it? It's really all okay. Oh, yeah. Nice. Boy, this looks like a family lives here. <laughs> this is like a family yeah, yeah. lives here. Huh. A rock star family, but a uh -huh. family. Yeah. Uh-huh. We just With added that. Yeah. Just added the leopard thing? Mm-hmm. We just did. It Just was, it. It was, it was not so good before that. Really? It looks good now. <laughs> looks good, looks now. good now. This piano this is right cool. here. Yeah, this I, piano. I, when we van first started, I, I bought one of those. If Remember you read in the book about me um, finding a suitcase by the side, and I yep. opened the suitcase. It was full of dirty rocks, uh, ounce of marijuana. Yeah. And, 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 and it's 1800 bucks. I bought that. That's what you did? Some guy up here, we stopped. That's why it's so magical up here. We stopped at the gas station. The guy says, I have your old piano. I said, excuse me? Because yeah, I have the piano that you wrote Dream On on. It says Aerosmith on the top. And I went, well, where is it? And I went over and looked, and he wound up giving it to me because it guilted him to death. That's it. He didn't make you pay thousands and thousands of dollars no, to get it, was it back? No, really that nice. Good. That's a I good know. guy. Local, that is country a good guy. boy. That is a, that There's the magic. There's the magic. There's the magic. And how but, long has this piano been here? This my dad gave You're... me this. It's a, it's a super long, it's eight footer. So it's got phenomenal bass and... Uh, did he, he used to play here all the time? Yeah, he played here, yeah. He always wanted a tune before he came in, and uh, he was playing here five months ago, four really? months ago, yeah. Really? Yep. But he wasn't playing this. He okay. wasn't playing this. <laughs> oh, man, as you told me, oh, who was in the house? Oh, who was in the house? I gotta finish this. <laughs> I will finish that. <laughs> you will finish it. Oprah's in the house. Oh, yeah. Oprah in the house. Oprah's Woo. in the house. All right, let's go sit down. Okay. Thanks for letting me in your house. Oh, this yeah. is so cozy, so warm. On a cold, I would love this on a cold, rainy day. Mm -hmm. Right? Fireplace going. Yeah. Yeah, I'd be outside all the, for all the sunny days. Mm -hmm. Oh, God. and the fireplace goes along the, yeah. the whole wall. Yep, love, yep. Love, love, love. Love, love, love. This is what I love about you. You understand, ultimately, that we are all just transmitting energy, mm -hmm. that you are an electromagnetic field. You talk mm -hmm. a lot about that yeah. in the book. Mm -hmm. So what is it, when you walk into a room, do you think the energy charge, what is that energy charge that you're, you're emitting? I think it's, be, it's being willing to be a receptor. Mm -hmm. Like, I, 
I, when I look at somebody, I can, I have a whole problem today with judging. I'm not supposed to judge, but however, when I look into people's eyes, I feel something from them. It's an unspoken thing. I can feel their energy and I get something and I understand where they're coming from and all kinds of stuff before they even speak, but I think it's because I'm open. Yeah. I think it has to do with us being willing, not to mention you're a magical being. I feel it from mm -hmm. you already. I think before you were Oprah and got all famous, I think I would have sensed that from your being. It's your personality. Not everybody's born like that with it. But you went and ran with it. Yeah. And so did I. Let's talk about running with it when you were growing up around here. Was there a part of you that sensed that this would be a place to come home to, but this would not be your life? Definitely. I first grew up here mm -hmm. and had all those feelings about the water and the smell. I went out in a canoe before and I was paddling in by myself and the smell off the lake. And this is the true Stephen. Mm -hmm. it, that is it. Uh, looking for a little beach here and I, that's why I bought this property. There's like, mm -hmm. you know, 15 feet of beach. And the feeling in the woods. And so then I left at 18, 19 to, to rock and roll out. Mm -hmm. I wound up taking so many drugs that alter your stuff that, you know, I thought I was taking this with me. Because mm -hmm. every time I smoked a joint, I felt like I was up on the chairlift at Mount Sunapee. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Every time I would do whatever other drug, I felt like I was underwater here, uh, you know, look, you know, with the fish and all this. I was trying to re recreate it. So when I'd come back here, I felt it again, and it was such a pull because by then, I had been addicted to the dark side or the the light side. May I say, I am surprised you're still alive. Mm -hmm. I am just, you know, mm -hmm. when I read your book, I, I, I don't know of another per who has taken more drugs, has mm -hmm. done more stuff, mm -hmm. has lived outside of yourself more than you. You know, it used to be cool to hear that. Now it kind of hurts. It does? A little bit. I'm going to have a little shame about, you know, not being as wide-eyed open like this while that was going on, mm -hmm. like during the 70s. And by the time the 80s hit, I was just full-blown doing stuff that... Are you surprised you're alive? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Yeah. I used to hate people that said, this last run, I was on a nighttime sleeping drug and, uh, and uh, drugs for my feet because of the operations I had because mm -hmm. I have to walk around and it hurts to walk. So I was on those drugs and, and uh, just, just that little bit, it makes you like this. Whereas you and I are peripheral visionaries. Mm -hmm. And damn it, what was I doing this for? Mm -hmm. Was it more comfortable? Heroin, you know, is like putting, it's like I've got a chinchilla, it's like putting a, co co a coat on, yeah. a cloak of fur. Heroin, you make you just feel so comfortable in a world of doing Madison Square Garden, coming off stage and getting pecked to death like chickens. It's a comfort to go sniff a little something and go somewhere. And so I just rode that, that beast, but this last run when I was like falling asleep here in the pit, you know. Um, the pit being over the there. The pit being right there. Yeah. They would say, you know, you're gonna kill yourself. You know, you're gonna be dead tomorrow. And I thought, what? Just fell asleep is what I'd normally do. So it's an adventure. You know what, the drugs for me was falling down the rabbit hole. I know Alice. You know <laughs> Alice. Oh yeah, we had an affair for a long time. What did drugs do for you that fame, and money and adoration and all that comes with being a rock star could not. What did drugs do? I think made me feel like a rock star before I was one mm -hmm. because I thought that that's what rock stars did. Did you, you always know? know you were going to be a rock star? Yeah. Yeah, I told my mom, and as I put in the book, yeah. I said, Mom, can I throw bars on the window? I mean, 
how lofty is that? But um, yeah, you used no, to tell her put me. bars on the window because the fans are going to be coming yeah. in, and she would say, "Yeah." Yeah. Oh, she would say, "Okay, right." And so I just I lived in that world. I, you know, and the funny thing is, is everything I've ever thought of, I've imagined, I've done. Really. I've imagined doing this with you before. Really. Because it was something I wanted to do. I like you. I loved your show. I loved who you were. I knew you. I knew that this was going to be really comfortable for me. And I knew that I wanted to get something out more than just singing. Before, Because remember, I'm a drug addict alcoholic. I know that there's another album in me. I think there may be another high. I don't know whether I'll survive it. Mm -hmm. I hope not. Mm -hmm. I'm so locked and loaded right now in AA and, mm -hmm. and in my program, my 12-step program, that I'm good with it. But yeah, I always... But that doesn't mean you will never get high again. No, it doesn't. That's the thing. I know I won't, but it doesn't mean I won't. So I have to be careful about that. So when you say I know you won't, that means you believe you want, you think you won't, you don't want to. Well, I've got what that means is right now I've set myself up with sponsors. I've got uh, a, a, a bunch of great people in my life that are sober as well that have been to the dark side, mm -hmm. lived on the dark side of the moon, and I love them. Mm -hmm. I've got a great sponsor in L.A. I got a sponsor in Boston, mm -hmm. and I go to meetings, and I I keep it real, and I don't want to go back there, or I'll lose it all. What's the lowest you've been? 79, 81, 82. 79, 81, 82. Yeah, those years. Yeah. I was walking the streets in New York, looking for heroin on Ninth Avenue, and in between, stuff had happened so much, you know, um, yeah. Even as much many drugs as you've been on and eight times in rehab, you still don't think drugs are all bad? Well, no, they can't be. I mean... You know, uh, I took, uh, I'm on Neurontin now for my feet. If I wasn't, I would be losing it. Because mm -hmm. it's so painful, mm -hmm. uh, that Morton's neuroma. And why are your feet <clears throat> so bad? Because of wearing... From, from, I think from, from dancing around dancing stage. Dancing on stage all those years. Yeah, I have no toes on that. They just have a big fat toe. Mm -hmm. They're all squished in underneath, you know? And yeah, then my toes are all like this. They took the nerves out of here and here. So after that operation, I simply, this was, this was 2002, two three. Mm -hmm. uh, after that operation, uh, I was on so many drugs, and I didn't give them to someone else to hold. Remember, I'm a drug addict, so mm -hmm. next thing you know, I'm in bed like this, and I start snorting it, and, and I got really bummed out and ashamed. Stephen was sober for 12 years when a string of medical and personal issues brought him back to bad habits. Stephen began suffering the effects of Morton's neuroma. It's a painful nerve condition in his feet. He had surgery, but feared he'd never be able to dance on stage again. While he recovered, the ban took a year off. For years, Stephen had been infected with hepatitis C. He began undergoing a painful year-long treatment regimen, which cured the illness, but left him weakened and sick. As he rehabilitated, another blow. He and his wife of 17 years, Teresa Barrick, split. So that was 2002, um, I had hepatitis C, and you know, you shoot the interferon, mm -hmm. and I took a lot of more pills than I was supposed to. And the band was taking a year off, and I said, okay, I'll do it. And I started shooting. To treat your hep hepatitis C. To hepatitis C. Yes. Because I'm the kind of guy that jumps in with both feet, let's do it. Mm -hmm. So I did, and three months in, uh, I got into a row with my wife, she left me, and, and I was there with the kids alone, uh, and I was diagnosed with a brain tumor. And I had another boy problem, and I went, wait, what? What? I might not be sexually active anymore, and I have a tumor? 
I mean, I was, I was just, every night I had to straighten up and go and sleep with the kids and at night after they came back from the nanny and just mm -hmm. pretend to be, not, right? And then my mom passed. You know, there was just a lot of things. Both dogs died. The kids went, to, went away to college. Uh, this was just in the last year, so it was a nine-year run mm -hmm. of things happening. But I wasn't going to meetings, and point blank, I'm just, I'm that good a drug addict. Mm -hmm. I have to always remember there's a 500-pound gorilla waiting in the parking lot for me. Mm -hmm. Now, it feels weird saying that after two years, because I do have it under control now, mm -hmm. but I have to always remember that. I have to always remember that. Always, always, always. And, you know, I've always said of all the things I ever lost, I miss my mind the most. It's one of those funny <laughs> things. Yeah. What you say in the book is, is that the drugs take away the peripheral vision. They do. Makes you myopic. Makes you myopic. Okay, so what's the difference between walking out on the stage with 30,000 people on drugs and off drugs? On drugs, can you feel them or do you feel them differently? When I got sober, I asked myself, why did I even take them on stage? It was just a way of life. You know, I wasn't born this. Remember, I survived the 60s and 70s. Yeah. If you didn't take LSD in high school, you weren't cool. And we took it, it was so great. We took acid and walked up to the top of Mount Sunapee. Walked, s tasted the wind when it blew. Tasted. Drank pine tree. You drank it. You, you, dr it, you could taste the water before you looked at a brook. Oh yeah, the green smell off the rolling hills, you tasted it. Uh, oh yeah, some drugs are the greatest. It's just, it's, it's like, now I can look at a field full of wildflowers mm -hmm. and smell it and taste it just as well. You don't need that, but it was fun back then, and that's mm -hmm. what I did. Mm -hmm. Jimi Hendrix, excuse me while I kiss the sky. You can't kiss the sky, but, you know, it's that. I wanted to taste everything and see it. But, but I you're talking it. about all of these experiences that mm -hmm. drugs gave you. Yeah. yeah. But I can do that now with a song. You can. I can get so inside of I don't want to miss a thing. When the, we're in the throes of an emotion, mm -hmm. and I'm singing to them, I don't want to miss a thing, and they're singing the words back like this. Mm -hmm. Every word, every nuance. I don't want to get one night, I don't want to get one kiss. I just want to be with you, right here with you, just like this. I just want to, and they're singing it back to me full on. They're, it's like making love. Mm. When you're singing a song, it's a, it's a complete a song. Is, Lyrics have been worked out. They've been crafted in such a way to mean so much. There's the first verse to set you up. I could lie awake just to hear you breathing. Mm. Watch you smile while you're sleeping, so far away and dreaming. I get, it's this complete setup, too. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to miss a thing. Mm. It's a complete full sentence. It's a lifetime in song if the melody's just right. Tell me this, though. How mm. do you do that night after night, year after year, for 40 years, and not be completely controlled by your ego. How does one live a life where you are idolized, you are an American idol, mm -hmm. and hold on to yourself? I just, I don't buy into that lofty, um, I can't live off the ego. When it comes to things like that, who do, you, who do I think I am? It's like a gift to me that I get to be that guy on stage. It's not something I earned because I'm that great. It's a gift that I've made contact with them. Mm -hmm. That's an honor. So my ego, it's a gift. When they came, that was the gift, that anyone showed up at all. Mm -hmm. So it's not me. Uh, 
It, it, I also know at any moment I could sing a song and it could be the end of my career. Mm -hmm. But do you feel like a rock star? I mean, I have to say, I mean, I have a wonderful life. I love my life. But I would have to say that in the world of you know, dream things, to be on stage. I was, I had Tina, Tina Turner on the show years ago and we did a song together on stage in Los Angeles. And just looking out at that crowd and seeing the people, I thought, well, isn't this, this is an amazing thing to have happen to you, that people are singing the words to your songs and they're literally, you know, holding you in some kind of reverence. Well, imagine being in a room full of 20,000 people and they're singing that song and they're singing that chorus, the whole place together. You've gotten everyone on the same page for a few seconds. Mm -hmm. What a miracle that is. Mm -hmm. That's a beyond miracle. And I feel it. Where did the songs come from? Well, that one came from Diane Warren. Excuse me. <laughs> I love Diane. I um, do too. But like Sweet Emotion, Tom was playing do 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 came yeah are the songs always there waiting to be uncovered or do they come in well the gift my father gave me playing Bach and Beethoven on the piano I, I would see that piano yeah. but I grew up under it mm -hmm. from six mm -hmm. months to eight months on the couch till I could crawl and I'd go under there I'd feel very comforting when dad played Bach and Brahms and Debussy and you'd be under? It sounds like this looks. Mm -hmm. This lake and the water. See the water's moving this way. Mm -hmm. Oh, and there's the trees and boathouses, and maybe the birds that fly across. It's all a complete sentence. So I, I learned that living under the piano and hearing that. So I think they used to say, the guy that did the David, Michelangelo, would say, Yes. It, it was always there. The rock was in the way. I just chiseled the rock away. The melody's there. I've learned it from my dad, the gift. And it's just waiting. It's like a hanger. And I'm waiting, or a hat. I'm waiting for the just right hat rack to come along. And I know how to fling my hat right onto it. Aerosmith is the best-selling American rock and roll band in history. Over the past five decades, addiction and internal conflict have threatened to tear their group apart. But in 2009, in the middle of a performance in South Dakota, Stephen fell eight feet off the stage, leaving him with a broken shoulder. He says no one in the band visited him in the hospital, which upsets him to this day. In his book, Stephen says his band was plagued by something he calls the other LSD, lead singer disorder. Let's talk about LSD. Yes. Lead singer. <laughs> Isn't that the funniest? Yeah. Hey. But you know, when I was reading that, I was thinking, well, yeah, of course. I always wondered, okay, if you're the lead singer of the band, doesn't the rest of the band members sometimes get pissed off with you or jealous or want to know how come my name isn't up there or want to know? Doesn't that happen? It happens hugely so. Um, You're the only person I've ever heard talk about it. Because I guess it's an unspoken thing. It is. They're afraid to. Yeah. I'll tell you flat out. It, 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 I put myself in their position. You know, when someone comes up and asks for my autograph, because I'm the big lip singer of the band, uh -huh. you know, of Aerosmith, uh -huh. and they don't ask my drummer, I'm so hurt. You are. I am so hurt. So can I'll you say, imagine I'll say, hey, what about him? Yeah. I said, you know, but 
the truth is, is that they, they're not as well seen. They're not as, that the, I'm not even an A personality. I'm so beyond that. Yeah, so, so when, so because of that personality that I am, that I put that out and I'm this dancing bear and all that stuff, I'm the face that they recognize and it hurts them. And in that, I don't think these, I don't think those guys in the band have really looked at that and said, you know what, I'm just, I'm jealous. Let's call a spade a spade. You know, I was jealous of Joe when he was, girls would come up to him when we first started out. Mm -hmm. I was. So I get it. Every lead singer gets it from the rest of the guys. Let's talk about forgiveness then. So does it come with you forgiving and them also forgiving? Let's talk about forgiveness and the role that it's played in your life. It's one of the things now that I've learned is forgiveness is the answer to everything. It's the answer to every problem anyone has. Just, and it's not, some people say, just let it go, Oprah. Let it go. <laughs> it's, and you, can't, you go, I can't do that. But it's, if someone says, you know what? What if you forgave them? Just do it. Try this. Try to forgive them. Say, I forgive you. And then say, I forgive myself for what I did to you, too. Mm -hmm. But I forgive you for what you did to me. And, and I just want to love you. I know it sounds really, you know, or touchy-feely or... Uh -huh. Uh, stupid, too nice, almost, right? But it's really the answer to everything, forgiveness. Uh, when I left Betty Ford after falling off the stage and with all the anger I had against those guys, and boy, do I have some anger. But the anger wasn't just about falling off the stage. No, it was angry that they didn't come to the hospital and go, what's wrong with you? Even that would have been fun. I would have been felt so uh, healing if they went, what's wrong with you, man? You, you ruined the tournament. I know you probably used, and you know, you all right, man? And they said, well, we didn't come because your manager said to stay away. And I said to one of them, you know what? If it was at the White House, I'd have gotten through the grounds to come in and see you. Mm -hmm. I just said that. Yeah. And so it was... Because the bottom line is, you fell off the stage, they didn't come see you, and what you wanted to know, you know, is what I always say, and I've said all these years, everybody wants to know that I matter. Yeah. You want to know that you mattered, mm -hmm. that you're falling off the stage mattered, mm -hmm. that somebody cared, that not somebody, that your bandmates cared that that happened to you. Isn't that the truth? I guess that's it. When you boil it right down to it, I wanted them to come to me and, are you all right? Yes, are you all right? But you know what I did? What? I called a band meeting and uh, I wanted my band. I wanted to tell them something I was, I'm about to tell you. What? I sat there with them. I begged for their forgiveness. I said, will you forgive me for falling off the tour stage and, and ruining the tour? Will you forgive me for that? And they said, yes. You got it. I got it. And they, and said, now, and they said, I forgive you. And after now it's been two years, now the most amazing miracles happened. We're back to the way we were back then. We're going to go back on tour. And everyone's clearer then. Rock legend Steven Tyler calls his four children the loves of his life. His oldest daughter, actress Liv Tyler, was born after an affair with model B.B. Buell. Stephen became a grandfather when Liv had her son, Milo. Stephen married his first wife, Sorinda Fox, here at Lake Sunapee. Together, they had Mia, now a model. After nine years of marriage, Stephen and Sorinda divorced. She died of a brain tumor at age 50. Stephen's second marriage to Teresa Barrick lasted 17 years. They had two children, 22-year-old Chelsea and 19-year-old Taj. A few minutes ago, you mentioned, you said, my wife left me. Were you a good person to be married to? I wanted the dream. I knew I could get anything as long as I could imagine it. And I saw a picket fence and... Um, a lake. A lake, the lake, just all of it. Uh, 
When I brought my first wife, Sarinda, here, I brought her, it was freezing cold January, I brought her in the Jeep out here to this house, the lake was frozen, pulled up like this, the lights were out, moon. Drove all the way out here and I went, okay, open your eyes. And actually her eyes were closed all the way to here and I said, close your eyes. And I turned the brights on, I said, now open them. And here was the house. And I married her and we had Mia. Mm -hmm. and, and then, um, you know, I abandoned them. Mm -hmm. I left them up here. In this house? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm not the happiest person about that. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I talk to them about it a lot and, you know, um, you know, because I really haven't forgiven myself because I'm a realist. I know what I did. Regardless whether I was on drugs a lot, people have told me, that's okay. I hear them, I get it. Mm -hmm. But a piece of me, my heart's still broken that mm -hmm. I did that to her. Later. You know, Maya Angelou always says, when you know better, you do better. Did you know better when you left them here? Did you know then? what you were doing? I think that's why I'm so shameful about it, because my the me that's me that you're looking at now mm -hmm. knows better. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, I know better. Mm -hmm. You know, I went out on tour. I went out on tour. And I wasn't getting along with her and mom. And stayed, and stayed on I tour. I wasn't getting along with her mom. Mm -hmm. And it was this. I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. And it was so wrong. And I once thought that thinking was so cool. Now, it's interesting. You know, yeah. It's, it's so wrong. You said that being a father changed you. And when I read that, I thought, well, eh, did it really? Because you continued your life as you wanted it, as you saw it, as you chose it. It felt like for many years without regard for your children. Am I correct or not? You are. Okay. Yeah. Um, I had them, but obviously the, the, the drugs got in the way, the, yeah. the lifestyle got in the way. And then Liv, it was, was, I was with Bibi. She was my girlfriend then. I, oh, and don't get me wrong. Every one of those girls, I loved them dearly. Mm -hmm. When we made love, we cried. Mm -hmm. And after that... Oh, we that's a, good. That's good. And after that, we had a kid. Yeah. Oh, really? It was that... When it was that heavy... Yeah. There was magic. Yeah. It Your never seed happens. was planted. It never happens like that all the time. Right. Never crying. And, you know, really? as you climax. Mm-hmm. And that's something I never, I don't think I even told in the book. I never told anybody. It was those four times. Really? Whoa, yeah. Each time you cried and, and, every, and, and there was then conception. Then we had a baby. Really? It was like, oh, something. That was something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get it? Ah, okay. And the babies were born. And, and, and live and, and um, you know. Well, it's uh, good to be born out of that. That's a good oh, thing. Yeah. So it was love. Beyond, beyond oh love, you yeah. know. And, and, and BB... But you were irresponsible. Were yeah. you not irresponsible? I was. Yeah. I was. I just hate thinking about myself like that. It hurts right now. I get it. I see the picture. Yeah. I can own it. Yeah. It just still hurts. Yeah. And when I see Liv now and we cry and, you know, I talk about it, not as much as I did when I first got sober. Yeah. Because I said, you may never um, forgive me. Mm -hmm. I would talk like that. And it was something they didn't want to hear. Forgiveness has to be earned. I, I have to earn it. Do you think Why you have yet? Do you think you oh, have? Oh, I've been there for them. Oh, yeah. yeah, we've done this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's great. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. <laughs>